the thing that we wanted to discuss is the is the, are the events in Ukraine, and let's say we have here uh, three different or not so different backgrounds: uh, Mike from the U.S., uh, Alexander from Belgrade, and myself from 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 Croatia, basically. And the topic we wanted to we wanted to see, and let's say uh, share opinions and 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 try to make some some kind of a <laughs> mutual conclusion is Ukraine, of course. So maybe uh, it's all it's very similar to the events happening here 20 years ago. So that makes Alexander and myself, let's say, a bit familiar with with the with the development. And uh, I mean, the U.S. is the superpower of the world, so everything that happens is connected in some some in some way or another. Some interesting thing to start with. Uh, Probably the the stated objective of this of the Russian invasion is to denazify Ukraine. So, Mike, you're an expert, I guess. Okay, let me let me start off by saying that there's a fundamental difference between the Russian incursion into Ukraine and the NATO attack on Serbia, because uh, Serb uh, NATO bombarded Serbia for seventy days, I believe. Okay. Uh, 78 days, uh, during which time they targeted the civilian population and all of the civilian infrastructure to basically destroy the country. From the news, first of all, I have to begin this by saying we have nothing but propaganda here. All of the mainstream media are full-out propaganda. But uh, with some of the sources, from what I can tell, is that the, the Russians have targeted uh, military targets exclusively, and they're doing their best uh, to uh, spare the civilian population. Uh, and what we have in response is the, the Nazis, um, the Azov Brigade, you know, basically withdrawing into heavily populated urban areas, uh, uh, refusing to let the civilians leave through the humanitarian corridor and basically stationing weapons where maximal damage will be done to the civilian population. That, in spite of all of that, it looks from the sources I can see here that the Russians now have taken, uh, have neutralized 75% of the military and have taken 40% of the country. That's a, that's the situation as I understand it. Well, the situation that, that I understand it, it kind of reminds me of the of the well say first to come back with the with the thing in Serbia basically the NATO just bombarded Serbia through it was a violation of the UN charter and they targeted civilians but they did not uh, they did not introduce the ground forces though so basically you have this difference uh, what what is familiar with with uh, with the, let's say the the, the Croatian war it's the same pattern. You basically have some provinces there, there, there with the separatist forces that try to, to separate. You have first a very, very swift and, and uh, quick attempt with the light forces to, to decapitate, to basically kill the leadership. When this failed, they bring in the, the let's say, the, the heavy machinery and they start uh, raising, the, raising the cities, like sieging one city after another. So, is basically the, the the tactics that were used here too. So, I guess it's similar similar playbook. But uh, we've seen we've seen that in the attempt with with very light vehicles, it was probably some 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 sort of, of uh, aerial aerial uh, mobile unit that try to that try to do a quick, let's say, change of change of government. It kind of failed, and now they are doing it the the old-fashioned way. Yeah. Well, I would uh, somewhat disagree with you, gentlemen. This scenario reminds me more of a war in Syria. For example, war in Yugoslavia was more complex. Basically, we had three entities fighting each other, the Orthodox, the Catholics, and the Muslims. And also, there was only one big superpower involved in uh, wars in Yugoslavia in the 90s, that was USA. Here we have uh, Russia and somewhat USA, uh, 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 although in a very passive manner. Uh, 
to me, it occurred to me two or three days ago that maybe just like in Syria, there is a, some sort of uh, secret convention or discreet, understated understanding that um, uh, Ukraine as a country is best for all, that it has to be partitioned. Partition is the old uh, policy of, uh, you know, Eastern Europe and uh, Middle Europe. It happened so many times. Let's remember Poland was partitioned three times. Uh, also, Hungarian monarchy was partitioned. Germany was partitioned in 1945, etc., etc. There are more examples. So that's something that, uh, you know, happens when the some country becomes dysfunctional or becomes too much of a burden for some superpower. Uh, 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 why I'm saying that uh, about that, let's say, um, secret agreement? Well, President Biden three days ago said that he is going to send one billion dollars of help to Ukrainian army. Well, that's a little bit, in this kind of war, of this magnitude, this is a little bit better than sending them a box of uh, Kit Kats. The Germans decided that they're going to send them 2,700 uh, rocket launchers. They are small portable rocket launchers, Arrow. They're called the Arrow. Well, Arrow is a leftover of the Soviet period from Eastern Germany. Half of these systems doesn't work. And those who work definitely cannot penetrate the Soviet tanks. That is not how you help your ally. That is how you actually screw the ally. But what's the difference? In the public narrative, the difference is that, let's say, in the 19th century, during Bismarck, during Alexander II, Tsar, uh, partition was something uh, public. It wasn't a secret thing. You know, it was just a matter of regular politics. Nowadays, in a post-democratic society full of hypocrisy, it is not nice to say that someone is going to partition the country. So that's why they're kind of, uh, they don't talk about it in this fashion. What we see now that uh, basically two-thirds of the Ukraine are under or going to be very soon under the Russian control, whether the Western third is kind of free of any kind of battles of or military actions of a bigger magnitude. Practically it's white. That is telling us that the Western Ukraine is going to be passed to a NATO country, whether as a separate entity or whether as a part of the Poland. And uh, Eastern Ukraine is going probably to be a separate country under the Russian control. They will happen, uh, they, they will have some sort of uh, freedom, but like Belarus, they will be under more or less, uh, you know, Russian control, only won't be occupation. Now, why mention Syria? Russians, again, having some sort of agreement with Americans, secretive, of course, that's not something you say public, in public or loud. You stick to your story, but what happened in Syria, on the northern part of Syria, we had the Idlib province. Idlib province is a province where all the uh, these fanatical Muslim fighters types were captured and moved. And then that area of Syria was kind of sealed, so they can live and function in that little part of the territory, but they cannot function, they can't do much damage in the rest of the Syria. Same will happen probably in the part of Western Ukraine, probably in the area of Western Lvov. Well, all of these neo-Nazis who survive the Russian attacks and who doesn't surrender, 
or those who surrender will be free to move to that little section, probably around the city of Lvov. And then you will see the steel territory just like Idlib, but that might be a little Putin's uh, revenge for last eight years of ignoring by the Western forces and the NATO, because when you have in the middle of the Europe tens of thousands of lunatics, die-hard fanatics, they might spill in the other countries, to Poland and Germany, and do God knows what else, like we have in Kosovo right now. We have pretty much a state of uh, drug dealers and the organ traffickers right in the middle of the southeastern Europe. That's my view. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> the destiny that is that is let's say envisioned for 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 Ukraine is is that of the Belarus. So in Belarus you have you have things like uh, elections, and the opposition party wins no seats, <laughs> or the president and wins I don't know one hundred and two percent of votes and such stuff. Well, I mean okay, that's 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 the one. Uh, I mean that 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 perspective might not be very pleasing for, for the Ukrainians. But let's go back, I think, where this, where this thing start, started and uh, where, where it has its implications is uh, one, uh, 1094, the year, uh, in the year 94 of the Bucharest Agreement. But basically, it was an agreement when, in which Ukraine, then a fourth uh, nuclear superpower, agreed uh, to let go of its nuclear arsenal and uh, the three nuclear superpowers, uh, the Russia, the UK and the USA uh, signed a letter of guarantee, they, they will guarantee to Ukraine the territorial integrity and, the, and its independence in exchange for the, for the Ukrainian arsenal of nukes. So basically we have... <laughs> it is a bit... I, like uh, <laughs> it is a bit satirical now, but but you have you have this thing unraveling. So basically, uh, the, the 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 three guarantors, uh, the the UK and the US, are obviously uh, not worth uh, well, not capable of guaranteeing anything, and the Russians are basically breaking uh, like Ukraine city by city. So, but but what 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 is according to me one of the object, objective of the Russians is basically is basically the, the the ghost of this Bucharest agreement, and that's uh, that's obviously the nukes. Yeah. Because obviously, Russians have have broken the agreement, and that by extension means that Ukrainians are not anymore obliged to be uh, a non-proliferated country. If the Russians like, uh, have broken this agreement and are basically invading the country, they don't have any obligations to, to be nuclear-free. And I don't know if you know, like the, the, it's, it, it was called R-36 Voivoda. The Americans call it SS-18 Satan. It was an yeah. intercontinental ballistic missile that was produced huge. huge missile that was produced completely in Ukraine. So they are more than capable of making such weapons, and the only thing they need is the fuel. So basically, we will see this going on and on until Putin secures all this nuclear the nuclear fuel from the sixteen of the Ukrainian nuclear generators uh, that are across the country. But okay, it's another. It's let's say this is more this geopolitical military aspect but what 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 puzzles me is the nazi stuff <laughs> i mean come on so basically we are we are we are fighting hitler or what, what, when you say that the the ukraine is full of nazis what 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 concretely do you, you guys uh, have in mind here we have followers i actually if you don't mind mr jones i will jump in again uh, that was one of my next uh, points uh, about the nukes. That's a very dangerous issue, and that's one of the reasons why both NATO and the Russians want to solve this problem and partition the Ukraine. No one in his right mind 
needs neo-Nazi fanatics running with little dirty bombs, which are relatively easy to make. Second of all, uh, Zelensky is, uh, I don't know, insane president of Ukraine. On the Munich conference on the 19th of February this year, publicly said that uh, Ukraine is going to become a nuclear power again. That ring a bell, I think, both to NATO and Russians, and they said, this is too much. No one needs this type of people running around with either real nukes that they can produce in, let's say, two to five years from now, because as Tony says, they have the capabilities to do that, not immediately, but in, let's say, the next few years. They can produce a real serious nuke. But in the meantime, they can produce a small, dirty bomb that can, you know, devastate the little city of, let's say, Jasper, Alabama. And that's, that's, that's dangerous. No one wants them. And regarding the neo-Nazis, that's a tradition from the Second World War. We have three major groups that uh, Mr. Jones mentioned one of them. There are two other most notable groups. Uh, the other one, except the Azov Battalion, is the Stefan Bandera group. Stefan Bandera was a lunatic uh, that was a neo-Nazi leader in the Western Ukraine. Both parents were Jewish, that's interesting. And he was, you know, uh, working for the Third Reich. He got the uh, Iron Cross from the Third Reich, then be he became fighting Germans at one point, he lost touch with reality, he fought Russians, and he killed 60,000 Polish civilians. He even uh, sent his troops to Poland to kill people. And the third group is the right sector group, which is also neo-Nazi, and there are tens of thousands of them, and they are dangerous. Now, problem, just like in Chechnya, and just like with Idlib, Problem is that the American intelligence is training and, uh, 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 you know, these people to function in the name of the war against Russia. Well, at one point they decided that uh, they did too much and there is too much danger for both sides. But yes, they are just like with the Chechens, just like with some other... Um, you know, conflict areas in the world. Uh, some parts of American intelligence were involved in training and financing these troops, unfortunately. Khan, I think that uh, Ukraine, the, every, every single male in Ukraine has exactly the same training as the Russians have. So I don't think that there is a necessity of some additional training. They do have the same old Soviet training that was obligatory for all the males. And you have basically the same military gear and lots of them. You have, we are talking about thousands of armored vehicles, like millions of bullets. Uh, Russian captured 10 Brits already. That's not known. Okay, West. okay. But I mean training. It's not as, necessary as to train the Ukrainians. Guys are captured okay. Right now. I, I, okay, I see what you are. Well, but but what, what puzzles me here is, I mean, Nazis, you mean like real Nazis in Germany? Like they, they give a pledge to, to, to the Reich? Or what, what no, are we talking here bad, about? I think they're the bad, even more irrational copy, poor copy of the Third Reich people. So they, they want That's to what? do what? So we, we have to poison their it water supply? Or? <laughs> Bernard George Shaw, you know, like they're like wannabe. Gestapo wanna be. No, I, I, I think I think the similarity is with Afghanistan. These these uh, Nazis are like the Mujahideen. They the the United States thinks they can weaponize these people, and they think they can use them. You know, turn them off and on like a light switch. That's not the way it works. Exactly. This is what this is what Liddell, Liddell Hart is a very intelligent uh, British uh, military historian. He wrote a book called Strategy. And he said, when you're dealing with irregular forces, you're always going to have problems. 
The British found this out when they decided to weaponize the Spaniards against Napoleon. That's where the word guerrilla comes from. Guerrilla, a little, a little warrior. And those people just didn't uh, go away after Napoleon was defeated. And they caused problems for a long time after uh, the, the Napoleon was defeated. So now you have the same situation in Afghanistan. That's where Osama bin Laden came from. He was weaponized, uh, and then he existed wherever they went after the Afghanistan war. There was there was problems. So yesterday I'm uh, at a function in Chicago, and I'm talking to this Polish woman, and she's worried about all of these immigrants coming coming into Poland now. Uh, they're apparently fearful that there are going to be these destabilizing elements now coming into Poland. Uh, and and th th it will be in their interest to basically drag Poland into the a war. Now, I'm also dealing with Poles, uh, talking to Poles on the Internet who are absolutely crazy. I, I don't like to generalize here, but these people are absolute fanatic chauvinists who are calling me a Nazi because I'm trying to explicate because I'm, I'm trying to explicate what happened after World War Two and saying that the Germans were victims uh, after World War II of, of uh, uh, atrocities. You can't talk to these people. And the problem here is that this is the type of behavior that got Poland into trouble right in 1939. There were these people who felt that they had this miraculous army because of what Piłsudski, Piłsudski did with the miracle of the Wisła. And uh, Britain was behind them, and so they were encouraged into a basically uh, a hostile a hostile attitude toward both Germany and Russia. They wouldn't talk, wouldn't talk with them, and that that that's, that led to a catastrophe for Poland. Now the other, this is exactly the situation uh, that that we're in now, where basically we're encouraging. All the, we're encouraging the Ukraine to go involved in a suicide mission. And I think that it's in the interest of a certain group of Americans to create as many casualties as possible in a losing battle, in what they know is going to be a losing battle, in order to generate animosity uh, against the Russians and, and stiffen the spine of these this crazy group of people in Eastern Europe who hate Russia. And, and, and they're willing to go, go involve the entire world in a war because of their ancestral animosity toward Russia. Okay. Yeah, the other part of the problem here is that you're dealing with people. I mean, I, I, I'd like to take a step back to Canada. Because Canada got completely obliterated off the, the, uh, the, um, the news cycle. Uh, just as it reached a kind of catastrophe for the truckers, but also, I think, for, for uh, Trudeau. So okay, Trudeau, I know, so I know Canada. It's the, same, it's the same thing as Ukraine. You have the same Nazis in Canada with these trucks that you have this, this I mean, this is kind of, a, this is kind of like a, <laughs> the, the same narrative, but from two different specters. I know it because, because no, it, all, so, so, it all happened in Croatia, you know, you have... You have uh, we were on the on the on the receiving side of the of the let's say once of the uh, we call it the invading forces and we were the Nazis. I mean, what can you define? You say that the Germans were, were victims in the Second World War, and what what do you do you mean by, by by saying that Ukrainians are Nazis here? Whether they have bad DNA? What are what is the Ukrainians' objective here? I mean, they do have their own country. And they do have the regular military. I'm saying they're Nazis because they uh, identified their, uh, with Bandera, who worked with the uh, Einsatzgruppen after World War, uh, during World War II. They're using Nazi insignias. They, they have a kind of racial attitude toward uh, what the Ukraine is and so on and so forth. And they're willing to act as uh, uh, proxy warriors uh, uh, of the West in a way that the Mujahideen acted in in uh, in Afghanistan. Now, uh, if you go back, what to race? Canada, you, you mean you mean the black people that that are, that are having trouble? I mean, I I don't buy it. We, we it's, this is okay. So this, this is not really America. We are we are talking about race. 
what what has race to do with it? I mean, they are, they are like they are like brothers of the Russian people. What what kind of race are you talking? I mean, Nazi insignia. I mean, yeah, the the truckers in Canada also have Nazi insignia. So I mean, at least they say so. Okay, no, you have. I I would like you to to define to me what makes this. What so basically the the, the bunch of racists, the Ukrainians. Let me go back. Let me go back to Canada. Okay. okay. The truckers are Canadians. The Canadians are the most docile people on the face of the earth. <laughs> If you step on the foot of a Canadian, he says, "I'm sorry." Uh, it's a huge country. It is very sparsely populated, and these people can just go off and be by themselves until COVID. And then suddenly they, their livelihoods were threatened as, as truckers had to go back and forth across the border. They were talking about lockdowns, more mandates, and they had enough, and they started heading toward Ottawa. The reaction was uh, the Holocaust. It's always going to have to take place within the Holocaust narrative. So someone showed up with a Nazi flag. Those truckers were not Nazis. I guarantee you they were not Nazis. Okay, They were, they were Canadians who had had enough. But they got labeled as Nazis because that's the way you demonize somebody. And this is the way, uh, basically, Trudeau demonized his own people. And once you're called a Nazi, then you don't have to talk to these people. But do you, you think that it's impossible the same thing to happen in Ukraine? No, no, it's different. Okay, so, so, so these are real Nazis. The, so the, 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 the three groups that Alexander mentioned, uh, do, they are Nazis. They they are neo Nazis. They they believe in that ideology and they like it. They they have they are this aggressive kind of national kind of negative nationalist group that's trying to come up with an identity by by demonizing someone on the other side. And so it's it, it's really this this so right before the war starts, the Ukrainian parliament passes a law saying. It's a crime now. Anti-Semitism is now a crime in the Ukraine. Yeah, that sounds like a Nazi. Yeah. Okay. Now this this is the the Jews are in control of the Ukraine. The Jews created this situation. It was Victoria Nuland, who was married to Robert Kagan, who was a big neoconservative Jew in foreign policy circles here, who basically testified. Two thousand eight, we spent. Six billion dollars to radicalize. Okay, now they needed the Jews. Never have anybody to fight for them. Never. They are always looking for proxy warriors. And so, in the United States, in the civil rights movement, the blacks—they were the proxy warriors for the Jews. That's what the civil rights movement was. Now it comes the the the, cr the crunch time comes. 2014. Uh, what's the guy's name? Yuk. He is going to, uh, he's got to make a decision. Do I go with the EU or do I go with Russia for energy? He decides to go with Russia and then the war breaks out. This is where, this is where Victoria Newland pulls the trigger and they use these Nazis as their proxy warriors. So you got a Jewish Nazi alliance running the Ukraine. Well, nobody can understand that. How is that possible? You got oh, the ADL. You got the ADL coming in saying, "No, they're not Nazis." Well, yes, they are Nazis. And the, the point here is that they do share a common ideology because they're both racist in some sense or other. In other words, the Jew thinks that everyone who is not a Jew is racially inferior. Even if they don't talk about it that way, that's the way they feel. And so there's a natural affinity between them and some type of Nazi group. Obviously, Nazi in Germany 70 years ago is going to be different. But this is the same. They, they are a weaponized proxy warrior group working for the Jews who were responsible for the overthrow of the government. All you have to do is look at those Maidan demonstrations. Look at the videos of the Maidan demonstration. This was not peaceful protest. The Canadian truckers were peaceful protest. This is a revolution where they overthrew the government as proxy warriors. That's the difference. Okay, so basically now we got, you, you now said some characteristics. So basically a Nazi ideology is something that thinks that his group is somehow superior, right? 
Okay, <laughs> that that brings us that brings us basically to the to the let's say the old uh, <laughs> the old narrative. <laughs> so as the Ukrainians yeah. are considered also described as anti-Russians, and uh, so it's basically the the religious narrative. Uh, the Ukrainians are described. You can find it in, in some with the Russian uh, writers and with the Russian, yeah, well, let's say, it's, philosophers. It's like the Ukrainians are anti-Russians, and it's uh, basically a religious battle. So basically, okay. it, is, it is the same narrative that that we have been sold here in the Balkans. We, we basically have Croatians and Serbs, Croatian acting as some anti-Serbs, and it's again, it's a it's a religious it's a religious war basically. It reminded it reminded me of the the Ustasha the Ustasha period in Croatia. Okay, no, were, I, we we are talking were, we are talking wait, wait, centuries. We are talking no Ustasha is a, is let's say Mussolini's proxy group. Let me that let me finish. Okay, okay. As I remember, as I understand it, there were theoreticians in Croatia who were trying to come up with some type of racial difference between Serbs and and Croats. Because of the Ustasha. Yes, Star Street, Shufly, Josip Frank. Okay, so, so there is there yeah. is no there is no racial difference. It's purely a religious difference, but that doesn't mean that they didn't try to impose some type of racial narrative on basically what was a a religious uh, conflict. I'm thinking the same the same type of thing happens with this uh, the the latest. Uh, substanti instantiation of Nazi thought. In other words, we have to come up with some type of rationale to uh, attack the Russians. Now, I think the whole point, once again, we're back to the missing person, the, the man who's always behind the curtain. Uh, so it's, it, it, wait a minute, who, why do they have this ancestral animosity against Russia? Well, because of the famine, the Holdemore. Well, who was responsible for the Holdemore? Was it Russians, or was it communists, or was Rob it Lazar, Lazar Kaganovich? And what was yeah. he? He was a Jew. Yeah. Okay. So I think, Mr. Jones, that is going even further than that. Goes to a, uh, you know, 18th, 19th century pale of settlements, you know? when many Jews moved to that part of Eastern Europe, Tsar gave them the land, they were expected to work, to have their homes, they didn't want to do it, because, uh, you know, in Jewish culture, manual work is not so appreciated. Right. Making money out of money is something that counts. And what that other, what other thing Vodka. Vodka, vodka. Yeah, production of vodka turned the Christians into a alcoholics, uh, you know, giving uh, loans to a local population and insane rates, and on the top, organizing anti-Zarist terrorist organizations. Among most popular, actually most famous, was the Narodnaya Volya. Right, absolutely. The organization that killed... Tsar Alexander the Second. Right. Right. Then Nikolai the First, I think, the next Tsar organized a pogrom when the, like fifty-five thousand Jews were killed and massacred. Uh, you know, I'm not approving that definitely, but there was a reason actually for that. It didn't happen just uh, out of blue. And then we have, uh, you know, retaliation when the Marxists came and liberals. By the way, by the way, they all came over here. That actually, this is not my fiction. We have that uh, in the Dostoyevsky's essay of Jews, which he wrote in the 1870s, and the last book of Alexander Solzhenitsyn, 200 Years Together which is an interesting book, and he wrote it in a very smart fashion, meaning he used for his book, in which he analyzed the history of the neutral life of the Orthodox Christians and the Jews in Russia and Ukraine. He was actually, most of the time, using Jewish sources, Jewish archives, Jewish historians, 
So he couldn't be, um, well, directly, uh, you know, accused of being anti-Semite. And that book is actually very, it was written in 1905, prior to his death. And that book, I read it, it's a pretty good book. Uh, it's not a novel, in more of a piece of history. And uh, that book actually hasn't been fully translated on the West. It had a strange history. Apparently, a different translator translated this book. Their names are not quite familiar. Some parts were removed. So it's, it's a, that, that, that book on the Western market is a mute point. But on one hand, you have photography that you can prove through the work of the historians and different archives. But on the other hand, you know, the Jewish lobby doesn't like it, whether it's no. true or not. It's Rabbi, Rabbi, it's... Marvin, Rabbi okay. Marvin Thayer in Los Angeles uh, told the publishing industry in New York not to publish this book, not to publish it in English. Okay, I read it. I read it in German. I read the German. I, I, ironically, usually it's the Germans who are more sensitive about this, but it's it was the Americans who basically just made sure there was no English translation of this book. Okay, can I just can I just maybe yes. maybe clear clear the woods here? Okay, so we have Jews. Okay, so what's what can can we for a minute let's let's say talk about talk about more like about the mechanism than like about the people so what, what is what is all this fuss with the jews so they are basically the chosen people right i mean they think they are so by the virtue of being the chosen people or the holy people automatically the people you are having uh, issues with is like uh, what's the opposite of, of, of a heavenly or holy people is the unholy or genocidal people or in the new secular newspeak is the Nazi. Okay, let's let's say, let's say let's say that way. So basically, you have you have this this system or the, this 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 uh, this concept, this value concept. So what 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 we we have we have the Russians here that are basically members of the of the Russian Orthodox Church. That is the church of the Russian people. The boy. United, it's united with it's let's say it's the same body. And so we have we have all the all the all the story again, but Christianized, you know, the same story but with a cross on his forehead. So basically you have you have again, you have heavenly people that are the Russians in this case. They have this messianic uh, messianic destiny, uh, like messianic destiny like the other Empire, the Americans, but they call it manifest destiny. All right, now the the, the 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 city on the hill. They have their own messianic fantasy, but the Russians have it too. It's not 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 maybe as biblically, uh, you know, old school like the Jews, but they do have. They 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 think of themselves as a heavenly people. This has this historical. Destiny to to do some things uh, that include uh, that include Istanbul or Constantinople, as you would say, and uh, the big empire and all the all the other stuff. So basically, you have is the, is the story that that I not only I, I mean the Ukrainians and let's say we in the Balkans are very familiar with, is the is the part of the old narrative, or the religious wars that went on. Uh, between, let's say, the, the the heavenly peoples and the unholy or the genocidal people on the other side. So it's when when you are talking about about the real difference of, or the crooks of the of the matter, you don't have much basically much much place that you can stand on and defend the, the stuff. Maybe you, Alexander. Okay, just. Leave the Americans aside and the the, the mm -hmm. neoconservatives and stuff. We have this. We, we have this in the Balkans. We have this long, let's say, the the, the Croatians and the Serbs have this long 
history of uh, that is not very pleasant. There is a lot of bad blood spilled here. So I have a question that I wanted to ask you before, but I never, never got an opportunity to ask you. So you have this very lot of people died in this Croatian-Serb interaction. What I wanted to ask you is, what if, what if the Croatians were not Catholics? Would it be, uh, let's say, less nasty, or it would be? What are you? What are your opinions here? What, what do you say? Well, uh, I, I will definitely answer your question. Just give me half a minute to make two points. Uh, first point is regarding Ukraine is that actually don't be fooled by the media. The Russian armies by many people in Ukraine, and I've seen the footage, are seen as the liberators, you know, especially in the eastern part, but also in some parts of the middle Ukraine, because they get rid of, you know, these neo-Nazi types. And let's not forget, during the last eight years, 14,000 Russian civilians died from the shelling from these Nazis, you know, every day, every week, someone will die, you know. So it's not black and white, you know, some people hate Russians, some people are indifferent, they just want to live their lives, and some people see them as uh, saviors, liberators, honest to God, just like in Europe in the 1940s, you know, when the... Soviet army stormed in, you know, somebody hated them, somebody liked them. Uh, regarding the Jewish thing, I think it's the old conflict. Maybe we can go to Kaiser times. Uh, basically, Jewish people, I had, you know, friends and acquaintances of Jewish people, most of them dislike Russians to a certain extent. But Eastern European Jews, very much dislike the Russians and the Orthodox. Most of them do. That, that's almost pathological. And there is a sort of a need for vengeance against the Jews, probably because they destroyed their cabinet and because of the 19th century events and that pogrom that 55,000 people were killed because of the killing of the Tsar Alexander II, etc. So most of the people who are involved in this conflict from the American side are the neocons. And the neocons are mostly Eastern European Jews. And Mr. Jones, uh, more and more people actually, at least in Serbia, are talking about that openly. It might not be the main subject of the discussion, but some very smart people who, you know, write for foreign newspapers or appear on Russia TV as the contributors are mentioning that, uh, you know, Jewish factor in the entire thing, the neocons, the Eastern European Jews who wants through their proxy war, attaining something, avenging their grandfathers and great-great-grandfathers. That's dangerous. Now, regarding your question, I think if the Croats were, uh, let's say, orthodox, uh, there will be much less hatred. I'll tell you why. Because we perceive, and I personally perceive, uh, you know, the practical activities of the Catholic Church as a, you know, imperial entity throughout the history it has some elements of empire, the wars, the, you know, um, uh, imposing of their view of Christianity. So that, that, that's, that, that's the thing why there is a long-lasting hatred among some Serbs and some Croatians. Not all of them. Also, the, I must say that honestly, especially in some circles in Serbia, I think the idea of mutual life sometime in the future under a common union or, I don't know, some confederation in 50, 100 years from now, it's not dead. So, on one hand, you have pathological hatred between Serbs and Croats with some people. On the other hand, you have some usually uh, neo-Titoists. Yeah. Neocon types who hope that one day 
their children or their grandchildren will live together in some sort of South Slavic country. Okay, but my question was, if you, it's obviously a religious war because we are religious-based identities here. So, yeah. what I wanted to, and this this has its parallels with Ukraine, because in Ukraine you have a certain percentage of Catholics, but you also have the the Uniats, uh, as they are called by the Russians, or it's their official name is the uh, Greek Greek Catholic Church of Ukraine. It's basically the orthodox right but they 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 do everything as the orthodox do but they recognize the pope as the ultimate yeah. authority so do you think they are problematic i mean is is the, is this uh, are the catholics a problem here i mean let's say not not we let's, let's say creations that happen to have this religion but let's say mm-hmm. this this church and this 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 religious system is the same problem here as it's there as it is here or so basically it's uh, it's according to you it's a uh, oh, it's a negative factor are, basically there are a lot of similarities definitely you know west of ukraine Lavov, it's catholic east of ukraine is orthodox you know and uh, western ukraine was poland until stalin moved it uh, moved the borders i'm sorry the western part of the Ukraine was Poland until yep. Stalin moved the borders. He moved exactly. western, eastern Germany into Poland and eastern Poland into the into the Ukraine. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that, but Stalin was it was typical of the divide and conquer mentality where that the British use in the British Empire, where basically you leave a, an ethnically divided entity behind after you yeah. withdraw. So like India. Uh, was uh, uh, immediately broke down into India and Pakistan uh, because yeah. it was it wasn't stable. Nigeria, you have the Muslims in the north and you have the Catholics in the south. It was the same type of thing. I w- when I was in Poland, uh, I was in actually East Prussia. Okay, so this was a traditionally German area. The man is taking me around. These are all German farms, and uh, they're run by Ukrainians. Right. The Ukrainians have been taken, as Stalin took them out of the Ukraine and put them in German, the German depopulated areas where the ethnic cleansing of the Germans had taken place because he wanted, a, it was a divided population, Poles and Ukrainians, divided. Yeah, so we are talking basically right. here about, I was trying to talk about this religious war. So basically, do you see, do you see the, 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 these, these units or this, let's say, the Orthodox that uh, do recognize the Pope, let's say, as the ultimate authority, are they seen as a threat or are they seen as more as a friendly guys? Not so much because there aren't too many of them uh, on the territory of Serbia. No, no, in the Ukraine. There are like five million. More more of them in Romania, in Ukraine, you know, these unions, than in Serbia. So people, most of the common people are not even aware of these... uh, Unions they do exist, especially north of Belgrade, but they're not a significant factor. No. Uh, picture here is more black and white: Catholics, Orthodox, Muslims in Bosnia and Kosovo. Period. Yeah. Are we going to leave this? Oh, uh, by the way, one thing: when this mess in Ukraine ends up, there is a chance. And I am giving it 50-50 at the moment that they will have more troubles in Balkans. Yeah, of course they will. Of course they will. Actually, no, no, no. But the empire, people are tired of wars and everything, but the empire will need a proxy war. Is it it true? I I got an information that the the Russian embassy, I don't know if it's true. I just repeated Uh what I heard. That the Russian embassy in Sarajevo, uh, rang Dodik, that is a Bosnian Serb leader, and reminded him of his promise that he gave to them, like uh, time ago to to secede. I mean, to to announce independence. Have you heard of it? I don't believe that's true because until now Russians were very delicate about their foreign policy. To the point that many pro-Russian, pro-Orthodox people were critical of Putin 
for not doing much for years. On my opinion, Putin was buying time by, you know, uh, uh, sustaining the slaps, sustaining the offenses by uh, foreign Western diplomats and uh, working on the rearmament of the Russian army, development of new technologies. And when he attained that, and he definitely did, because they have some amazing new types of weapons right now, uh, uh, then he became more uh, active, someone would say more aggressive. But I think he was buying time. That, that's my view. I don't have proof of that, but I think his uh, military factories and military institutes, research institutes, were working under tremendous pressure for the last 15 years or so, since the Munich conference. Yeah. It, this was the goal. Now we see why, why Putin was so meek and for so many years in terms of politics, in terms of confronting, uh, you know, directly NATO, interfering in their interests, etc. Okay, what, what I see, what, okay, let's say the bigger, the big picture that I see here is basically that, that Putin definitely, I mean Putin, but the, the, the Russia definitely operates in this, in this, uh, let's say, uh, ethno-religious operating system that is the heavenly people on the on the messianic mission and you have all these things that fits into it so basically any opponent of, of such heavenly people must be must be a nazi or or a genocidal i mean some kind well, of genocidal people okay okay then okay okay i think that i think that putin was forced into this situation by who, who forced the, him inexorable movement of NATO eastward. He warned them in 2008, he said, don't, the, Ukraine will never become a member of NATO. So don't, look, when you're dealing with the real messianic people, they don't take no for an answer. Yeah. If, if, you so, know, if you're dealing with people who start the conversation by saying, I have relatives who died in the Holocaust, you're not going to have any diplomacy. And that's okay. precisely what happened. And you had this ancestral Jewish animus against Russia operative through the American foreign policy. That's the cause of this problem. It's not Russia. Russia is defending itself. It's NATO is the aggressor in this war. Okay, NATO is on the Russian border since 1949. I mean, you can throw a stone from Norway to Murmansk. I mean, well, basically, NATO, the, first of all, first of all, both Macron... Finland, Finland is a neutral state. That's I'm, all they wanted in the Ukraine. Finland I, is I'm, neutral. I'm talking so about Norway. No, I'm talking no, about no. Norway. Okay. Norway's too far away. It's on the Russian border. It's near Murmansk. Okay, never mind. Latvia and Estonia and the, the Baltics are on the Russian border and they are like, what, 600 miles away from Moscow where they are already in NATO. What, what, what's, what's the fuss? I mean, and basically, to, to be honest, the, they never said that they are attacking Ukraine in order not to be in the NATO, but they are attacking, attacking Ukraine to denazify it. I mean, plus, plus, I don't know if you if you seen what uh, Macron and the German uh, German Chancellor uh, what were their messages said to Putin regarding Ukraine and NATO. Uh, so what both of the guys, the French and the German guys, told Putin is that uh, they will not they will not accept Ukraine in NATO. And the other thing why Ukraine could not come into NATO because parts of the Ukraine as you know it, are under Russian control. So basically, immediately, if such a country that has parts of its territory basically in the state of some kind of war or some kind of insurrection, if it enters NATO, it means automatic war. No country that has, that has territorial disputes or some kind of, of ongoing uh, conflicts cannot enter NATO. And plus, the NATO members must vote, must have a vote to let her in. So basically, the NATO thing is just, it's just, I think it's bogus. 
What we are seeing here is the thing I, saw, I, I told you on the beginning. It's 1994 Bucharest Agreement that was violated. So now you have to grab as much as, as, much as territory you, you can. You cleanse the Ukrainian population. And you seize the, nu the, nuclear, the nuclear facilities. That, that's that simple. I mean, the Russians are obviously more, much more powerful than the, than the Ukrainians. And they might do it. But, but <laughs> the operation itself... It's, still defensive, not offensive. I how mean, how if, many defensive there on the Ukrainian side? If it were Texas, you know, I might, I might consider your point, but it's not Texas, it's the Ukraine. The Americans are on the Russian border. It's not the Russians on the American border. The Russians have a legitimate sphere of influence and they have a right to defend themselves. There how does the legitimate sphere... Wait a minute, wait a minute. The legitimate, the legitimate sphere, I have just... Sorry, Alexander. The legitimate sphere of influence is the same thing as saying uh, might makes right or, or truth is opinion of the powerful. No, no, no. Is, the, is the exactly and same kind of argumentation. I don't think that... that absolutely not, Tony, because they are, this is why this war is taking so much. Unlike Iraq, let's say, excursion in Iraq, Russians are very meticulous about not killing the civilians. Very careful about that, as much as you can be in this war, you know. On the other side, the, the Ukrainian Nazis are putting their howitzers in the buildings with civilians. And that's uh, deja vu. We saw that in Sarajevo, you know. You want to uh, force the enemy to kill your population so you can gain some, you know, points on the international political market, you know, they're, they're, they're doing the same thing. You have howitzers right now in Kiev and, and Mariupol and other cities. So basically, if you are, if you are superpower uh, and you trick another nuclear superpower to, to get rid of its weapons, and then when it, the other country does it, then you invade her. That, that's like, uh, what, moral behavior? Or it's, it's legitimate, uh, legitimate well, demands? Or, or, or what, what are we talking about? You cannot invade your own country. What? You cannot invade your own country. I mean, how do you mean your own country? Because uh, Ukraine was under Russia for many centuries, and Russia as a state was conceived in Kiev. History of Russia is divided in three parts, the Kievan Russia, Moscovite Russia, and St. Petersburg Russia. Now it's Moscovite again. So, uh, you know, the communists actually made, made this mess in the beginning of 20th century. But that was pretty much one country, you know. Okay, it was one country, but now you see the you, the people living there considering themselves Ukrainian. I mean, you don't have to do an historical are... analysis if the people are telling you that they are Ukrainians. I don't see yeah, it. But how, how would you react if the island of Mlet wants to succeed from Croatia? Because people from island of Mlet or the island of Brach uh, figure out that they are, you know, a separate nation. Would you give them a green light? Okay, the Ukraine is not seceding from Russia. Ukraine is already a country, I and mean, it was a country in the Soviet Union. You know, you're just telling me that there are Nazis in Ukraine, that Ukrainians are Nazis because they're fighting Russians? No, 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 so, no, 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 no. I didn't Part say of that. Ukraine, not talking about Nazis, Tony. We, we were very clear about it. So they are well, Russians or are they Nazis? Don't give a damn about that. They want to live their lives, you know, make, pay their bills. But you have these, I don't know, 100,000 maniacs, which is not terribly much considering it's a country of 30, 40 million people. So you, have to, you have to basically level the entire country. country. I'm sorry? I don't find it persuasive that for uh, this as of battalion that, by the way, I don't, it's not, I never, I googled it up and I didn't, didn't see any, any Nazi, you know, flags or something like that. In oh, the, I have they, told, they, they do seem like a reasonable, uh, reasonable squad that it's a part of the Ukrainian, uh, Ukrainian uh, military system, but okay.
but it's not are, we are not are i understand i understand that the russians would like to being crucified poured with gasoline and then burned alive by as a battalion i can send you a clip okay they are the mujahideen of U the ukraine they are the isis of the ukraine they are not representative of the ukrainian people they are a weaponized proxy warrior of the west that we are talking about one unit this is a country that is this is the biggest european country if you don't, don't need, count you don't the US need a majority of the population in order to wreak havoc you can always have a small fanatical minority who can take over the government it's the story of russia story of the bolsheviks i don't think you are you saying that the majority of ukrainians want the russians to come in and to invade the country I'm saying we don't know what the majority of the Ukrainians want because no one is asking them. Majority, majority of majority of Ukrainians are fleeing the Russians in the direction of the Western Europe. We have in Croatia have people, the Ukrainian refugees, me, for God's sake. I have people telling me that they're fleeing Kiev because they don't want to be drafted into the Ukrainian army. Exactly. Yeah. Gonzalo Lira said that. Do you know a guy named Gonzalo Lira? Gonzalo Lira is an American businessman who used to live in Kiev and now he moved to Kharkov for the safety issues. And uh, he's a good guy, talkative, uh, and he's right in the middle of fire and he's making his podcasts, podcasts on a good English every day. And he explained a lot of things, you know, we're discussing right now. And he, he's saying pretty much the same thing that Mr. Jones and I are saying. It's not black and white. Some people like Russians, especially in the East. Some people, you know, dislike them. And some people wants to bury Russia, you know, 10 feet under the ground. Every Russian. Okay. It's okay. Some people do what? Some people don't. You know? but, but do you have some... <laughs> we have to have some objective way of... of, of of evaluating the situation, okay? So Ukraine gave up its nuclear arsenal, which is a noble thing, okay? They, they got some promises that the promises were broken, okay? And Russia is a mighty country, but I don't think that it's persuasive that that gives them a right to, to I don't know, to partition Ukraine or to level the, the to, to lay siege on the cities. I mean, what what's... Okay, the Russians are, have a strong military and they have this historical injustice made to them and blah blah and they have this this manifest destiny and stuff but but it does not fit. I mean, I cannot this narrative that that is somehow moral for the Russians to invade Ukraine and to 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 engage in these activities that are now going on. It's I'm sorry, I'm not I'm not convinced. Oh, it's the nukes. The nukes. Okay, so why, why the Russians are entitled to the nukes and the Ukrainians are not? Are they, they, are they heavenly people? Is that why? Look, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. The, the Ukrainian people have a choice right now of becoming the proxy warriors of NATO or being taken over by Russia. They, they are in the unfortunate situation of being in the middle, and that's the only choice they have. They cannot have some type of the only independence they could have is as a neutral state. And that is being denied them by NATO, not by Russia, by NATO. NATO denied them that, that possibility in 2014 when they overthrew their government and put in Jewish puppets in charge of the place who were working to use the Ukrainian people as human shields to advance NATO uh, within missile striking distance of Moscow. NATO, okay. Why was the Russian military attaché in Moscow was summoned up in Russian Ministry of Defense three days ago and asked why so many Croatians fighting on the Nazi side? <laughs> yeah, you have 200 Serbs fighting on the Russian side. So they are not Nazis, I guess they are freedom fighters, but some Croatian guys fighting there are Nazis. Yeah, that's... Yeah, this is this is not a convincing well, argument. 
So well, maybe you was, said it, you know. Yeah, yeah. You have you have two two hundred. I have to make peace okay. here between Croat, Croatia, and Serbia. Right? We're gonna uh -huh. have the Balkan wars again. <laughs> yeah. I got I gotta go. Yeah, my battery is okay. going. He's running out. Okay, nice talking oh, to you can guys. Can I say one thing before we leave? A little joke, a local joke, to finish this conversation on good positive notes. There is a rumor that uh, Vladimir Putin is going to get a Nobel Award for medicine. Do you know why? Because he ended the COVID pandemic. Exactly. I think it's because he resurrected Hitler and he's still fighting the Nazis. Yeah, <laughs> yeah okay. Bye. Okay, bye guys. Nice. Peace. Thank you guys. Peace, peace. Bye-bye. Peace. Okay. Peace. Bye. Peace.